for singing. I, I enjoyed that. Joshua chapter 14. Joshua chapter 14. If you would, in verse 6. Joshua chapter 14 and verse 6. And if you'd stand with me as you turn. <clears throat> Joshua chapter 14. Verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, and uh, the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me, and thee at Kart Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses the servant of the Lord sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land whereupon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance, and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, as even since the Lord spake this word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. As yet I am strong as this day, as I was in the days that Moses sent me, as my strength was then, even so is my strength now, for both for war, both to go out and to come in. Now therefore give me this mountain, whereof the, the Lord spake in that day, for thou heardest in that day how that the Anakims were there, and, and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said." And Joshua blessed him and gave him unto Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Hebron, for an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, Caleb the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the scripture that you gave us. And Lord, you gave it to us on purpose. You said the grass withereth and the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And I'm thankful for an unchanging word from an unchanging God given by way of your Holy Spirit. I'm thankful for a book that can change our life. Well, there's many books in this world, but only this one has the power to change a man's life, and I'm thankful for it. Lord, I pray, Holy Spirit, as I preach from your word, that I would say what you'd have me to say and the way that you'd have it to be said, that I would accurately represent your word. And Lord, that you would just speak to each one of our hearts this evening. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Giant killers. Boy, when you first think about a giant, you think of David, David and Goliath, but he wasn't the first of the giant killers, was he? Here we see Caleb and his men march up to take on the Amalekites and, and take the land from them. Matter of fact, in Numbers chapter 13, 21 and through 33, we, we see the story of how the Lord would send out or how Moses would send the spies into the promised land and they would come back with a report and uh, 10 of the spies were good or were bad, 10 were bad, two were good as the song goes, right? 10 came back with an evil report, a doubtful report. They spoke of the plenty of the land, but they also spoke of the giants that were in the land and some of those were the Anakims and uh, they told the people that we are as grasshoppers in their sight. And, uh, were there, and they told the people, we cannot take them. Of course, Joshua and Caleb stood up and said the words and said, uh, we can take these. And they reminded the people of the promises of God. And yet the people in their doubt would seek out a captain. They desired a captain to lead them back to Egypt. Can you imagine that? Going back to Egypt after you saw all that God had done uh, through the plagues and all that God had done to bring them out of Egypt and through the wilderness, a desire to go back. And that's exactly what they wanted, though. And so God let them die in the wilderness. Sometimes there's no going back, all right? And there was no going back in that point. God just let that generation die in the wilderness. But Joshua and Caleb received the promise that you would be, you would be able to inherit the land. And now Caleb goes to inherit that land to claim that promise. And you see Caleb gets his revenge a little bit in this passage of Scripture. Matter of fact, I almost titled it Caleb's Revenge just because I liked it, all right? 
the ones that everybody had doubted, the ones that everybody had doubted that they could take, the Anakims, Caleb's goes, now I'm going to go prove that it can be done. They said we're as grasshoppers in their sight, and we'll see exactly what these little grasshoppers can do when, when God is on their side. And so he would march up, and he would take those giants, and he would inherit the land. And, boy, there's so much truth in this, I think, for the Christian today. I, you know, every Christian, every Christian has their series of giants that they face in their life. It's an inevitable aspect. There's, there's giants uh, of the mind. How many times we have those doubts that may come to mind or our heart or the struggles that come into our life and the same things that seem to overwhelm a man from within. I think of how Paul would speak of all the things that he went through in, in the ministry, a night and a day in the deep and beaten and le- beaten uh, 40 times, saved one, three times, and he was left for dead and all the things. And then he would say this, and besides all these things that are without, he said the care of, all the ch- the care of the churches, the burden that he had within. And boy, we face giants without of circumstances in our life, and we, we face those circumstances that come our way sometimes, and we look at them and we say, I do not know how. I win a victory in this place. I don't know how I'm going to get through this or this circumstance, but there's also those giants within. Those times when the being overwhelmed within that rises within us, and we say, I don't know how I'm going to make it through these circumstances. There's giants of circumstance. There's giants of the flesh, isn't there? Sin. Besetting sin that grips a hold of someone's life. The time after time after time they go back to, in spite of the victory that Christ won for them at the cross. And there's besetting sins that Christians need to win a victory over in their life to gain that victory that God promises in his word. And, boy, there's giants of calling in our life when the Lord calls us to a task that seems too big to take on. You ever have something that seems like the Lord maybe from time to time has put more on your plate than you can handle? And yet the reality is God never puts more on our plate than we can handle, at least not in his strength. It may be more than we can handle on our own, and that's where God likes to work. That's why the Lord told Paul, he said, I'm not going to remove this thorn in the flesh. But he said, my strength is made perfect in weakness, and my grace is sufficient for thee. Paul had his thorn in the flesh, his giant that he would pray and ask God to remove. And God would say, no, but I'm going to help you go through it. There are giants that we as Christians face in our life. And they're inevitable aspects. I, I think of this reality that God puts them into our life to prove us, to test us from time to time. James would say, James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ, the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. He said, God is trying to use some trials and some giants of life to strengthen your faith. To keep you going for the Lord and to, to draw you and make you more like him. And God allows them into our life. And here we see Caleb faces up against some of those giants that he had known for a long time that were his to be taken. Think of this. You know, God allows giants in our life. One of the reasons so we can have the joy of seeing them fall. He allows them in our life so we get to watch them go down in the power of God. To remind us of something, that it's not us that does it to do it in the first place. It is God who has done it all the way along. It wasn't David who killed Goliath. It was God who guided that rock. It wasn't Caleb who took these mountains. It was God who took these mountains. It wasn't Jonathan and his armor bearer who took those Philistines. It was the Lord who took those Philistines. It wasn't Elijah who pulled fire out of heaven. It was God who sent fire out of heaven. 
time after time, you see it as God that works. And God allows those things into our life to let us see God at work in our life. Can you imagine if there were no giants, we would have no clue about how good God is. We, would see, we wouldn't see the victories that God intended us to see and to see the miraculousness of our God. He allows them into our life. But I want to look at some of these things from the life of Caleb, obviously that brought him to this place of gaining his revenge, if you will, or slaying his giant. The first thing you notice and the obvious thing in this passage of Scripture is Caleb's faith. You see it in verse 8 where he says this. He says, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Boy, some people make other hearts melt. Some people strengthen hearts. Nevertheless, my brethren, they that went up with me made the, made the heart of the people to melt. But I wholly followed the Lord my God. And then he makes this statement. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet hath trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. Boy, his faith in God's power. He had a complete confidence It didn't matter how big the giants were, how strong the walls of the inhabitants of those those city walls were in Canaan. He had a confidence that God could work. He knew that as they crossed over the Jordan, if they would just follow God, God would and God could. He had no doubt. I I picture him on the other side, he and Joshua. And even the first time they came to the Jordan River, it wasn't just crossing the Jordan River, but even looking beyond and know Jericho was just beyond the walls. And even though he and Joshua didn't know how God would make those walls fall, they knew that God would take care of Joshua or care of Jericho. They had a confidence and a belief that God could and that God would. You know, sometimes we have a faith that God can, but we don't have a belief that God will. And their faith was that God could and that God would. It wasn't just saying that I believe that God can. It's saying, I believe that God will do it. Where does that faith come from? I tell you that faith is is rooted in the promises of God, isn't it? You know, the separation between faith and foolishness is the Scripture. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? The Word of God. Caleb knew what God had said. It wasn't that he had just seen the Lord send the plagues that would bring them out of Egypt. It wasn't that he'd already seen the Jordan or the the Red Sea part or God provide people water from a rock or manna from heaven. It was that he had the promise of God that God would give them the promised land. An old promise. It went back more than 400 years to Abraham. And God had told Abraham, this land is going to be your children. They may face 400 years of captivity, but when they're coming out, I'm giving them this land. He had the promise of God in his word. Think how important it is to know what God's word says. I tell you, whatever your giant is, you find out what God's word says on it, and you get a hold of it, and you never let go of it. That's what it means to stand on the promises. You see, preacher, how do you know that you cannot lose your salvation? Is it because your life is perfect? No, it's not. It's because God's word says so. The Bible says, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hands. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, he sealed us with that Holy Spirit of promise. And in the book of Hebrews, he said this, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. 
He said, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, but the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I was saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he has given me the wonderful gift of eternal life. And when does eternal life begin? The moment of salvation. See, how do you know you can't lose your salvation? Because God's word says so. How does someone know that they, how to be saved? These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. God's word tells us. Know that you're a sinner. Know that Jesus paid that sin at Calvary, that he was the Son of God, that he lived and died for your sin. And he rose again three days later, and you put your faith in him, and you have a 100% sure faith in your heart that you're saved because God's word said so. How do I know that there's a peace that passeth understanding for those who pray because God said so in his word. Caleb knew what God had said. Do you know what God says about the giants you face? I think of this, in any giant that you face in your life, find out what God has said about it and grab it and run with it. Caleb was, was not worried about the Canaanites. Because he had God's promise. He had seen God work over and over again already in the past, but more than he had seen God promise that he would work, he had the promise that he would continue to work. So he had a God who had proven himself and a scripture that was true, and he said, I'll go over there because I have a promise. You know, there is a faith that is rooted in the promises of God that helps a man slay his giants. Boy, they obtained a good report. How did they obtain a good report according to Hebrews chapter 11? By faith. The Bible reminds us that without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them which diligently seek him. But that faith must be rooted in the clear promises of God's word. I think when we face our giants, the first thing we ought to do is look to our weapon, the Bible. What does God's word say on the matter? Be careful when you get away from what God's word says on the matter. Be careful. There's folks in our day and age today that want you to face based on what they say on the matter. Words of extra knowledge and extra revelation outside of the scripture. Friend, that's hogwash. The canon of scripture was closed and we have all that we need in the word of God. And all that I need is on the pages of this book. And all that I have to find is what God said on his word. And base my life upon it. And friend, that's the only one that's reliable. There's only one person who's never failed at his word. And it is God. And a promise is only as good as the one who authored it. And in the scripture, I have the incredible promises of God's word. You see Caleb's faith. And he wholly followed the Lord. In other words, he wholly committed himself to his Lord. And what he had said. Wholly committed himself. He was willing to march down and face some giants because of his faith. He was all in and wholly committed to the Lord. Caleb's faith. How do we see Caleb's faith? We see Caleb's service. Let's look at verse 6 and 7 again. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the, the Kenizzite, said unto him, Thou knowest the things that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God concerning me, and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. You'll see something about Caleb. He was a servant of the Lord. 
He followed the Lord's servant, and he was a servant of the Lord. I, I think sometimes one of the greatest ways to slay the giants of our life is to just keep serving God. To just keep serving God. Caleb was serving God when, when, Moses asked, when, when Moses asked him to go and to spy out the land. He was waiting on the Lord as God, as he came into the promise of the land. He was ready and available to serve God. I will tell you this. You will find giant killers, but they're servants of God. David was serving God. Elijah was serving God. Elisha was serving God. The men of God that you and I would look to in the Scripture will find people busy in the service of the Lord. Now, there's folks that watched others kill the giants. Boy, there was the Israelites who stood on the side in fear as, Josh, or as David walked down to face Goliath in the Valley of Elah. The bulk of Israel stayed silent when Elijah went up to Mount Carmel. You see, the, the ones who found themselves to be giant killers were busy in the service of the Lord. There's a call for every Christian to be involved in the service of the Lord. I have to find this. When you find yourself backed up against the giant, just keep serving God. Just keep serving God. Boy, God is faithful. It is required in a steward that a man be found faithful. Friend, don't allow a giant to put you on the sideline. Whether it's giants without, giants within, giants of the flesh, determine in this, I'm going to find out what the Bible says, and I will march forward in faith and service, serving my God till my God calls me home. The service of the Lord. Be busy in the service of the Lord. You'll never kill your giant if you're off the battlefield. You never will. Matter of fact, that's why giants come from the devil. Because he wants you off the battlefield. He wants you off. And the Christian, the call is that we just keep serving God. It is faith that produced that faithful service of the Lord. Uh, don't, don't have the, the heart to struggle within and just say, it's time for me to quit. The struggle without, it's time for me to quit. The struggle of the flesh, just time for me to quit. The struggle of the calling is too big for me. I'm just going to quit. No. There is the call that we trust God and just keep serving God. And you see, Caleb was faithful in his service of the Lord. He was someone that Moses knew that he could call upon to send him into the, into the, into spy out the land. He was someone who was still looking to serve God. At 80 years of age, he, he wasn't turning around and saying, hey, son, you take my spot. He said, I'm going to keep serving God till I'm gone. Sometimes our manner of service changes, but we should never stop serving. There's something for every Christian to do in the service of the Lord. Why has God left you here to serve him? That's why he's left you here. In some manner, some way, shape, or form, we are here to serve. He could have called his disciples up at his ascension, but he didn't. He could have called you and I up at our salvation, but he didn't. He could have called you out of here already, but he didn't. Because there is something he needs from you and something he wants from us. He kept serving. We see Caleb's faith. We see Caleb's service. We see Caleb's stand. I like it here. He says in this verse, he said, 
He said, 40 years old was I, in verse 7, when, when, when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought him word again as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt. But I wholly follow the Lord, my God. You know, that day, that day, billions of people stood in opposition to crossing over the Jordan River. But Caleb, Joshua, Moses, and Aaron rent their clothes. Why? There were some who stood. Paul would tell Timothy this. He said, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known and that all Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work, and I will preserve me into this heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. He said, for all men forsook me, but the Lord stood with me, and that was sufficient. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, yet God stood with them. Daniel, God stood with him. David, God stood with him. Elisha, God stood with him. Elijah, God stood with him. Joseph, or Jonathan in his armor, yet God stood with him over and over and over again. You see the scripture filled with those who would stand for the Lord and find themselves with God standing next to them. Look, if you're only serving God when the crowd follows you, don't expect God to stand with you. But if you're following God when nobody else will, trust me, God will stand with you. All men stood with him. I think of this verse. Proverbs 28, 22 says this. To have respect of persons is not good. For for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. To have respect of persons is not good. For for a piece of bread, that man will transgress. The man who's worried about how many are going with him for a piece of bread he will transgress the commandment of God. Just a piece. I, I tell you, young people, I, be careful. Christian school, public school, home school, I don't care where you're at. You be careful of only standing for right when you feel like you're in good company. There is a call to be stand, period. To be willing to stand for right. The Daniels, the Shadrach, the Meshach, and Abednego's, we know them. The Caleb's, we know. The Joshua's, we know. The David's, we know. And there's a lot who have fallen into the annals of history that we may never know. But the reality is God stands with those who will stand alone. I think there's a call in our time. I think there's a call in our time and in our world for Christians to be willing to stand up and be counted even when it's not popular with the world. Look, if you're looking for cultural Christianity, my friend, it won't be long before you won't be Christian. The cultural, the Christian, the culture of Christianity in our world is not truly Christian. It is when we make the decision to stand for the Lord, even when it's unpopular with the world. John the Baptist was different. Elijah was different. Elisha was different. David was different. Caleb was different. Friend, it is not in blending in with the world that you reach the world. It is standing out from the world by which you reach the world. And the world is telling us, and it's the world that tells us, be like them so you might reach them. And that is not the truth. Be like Christ. The crawl of the scriptures that we would be like Christ. That may mean that you look a little different from the world. You might find yourself viewed as John the Baptist and, or David or, or these folks. And, and, and I'll tell you something, Christian. You may find yourself standing alone in terms of the world, but you'll find a Savior standing right next to you. We don't have to be like the world. So many times I, it bothers me 
It bothers me in our world. It's like in our, in our churches so many times we're running to the world to find out even how to worship. That bothers me. We should not run to the world to find out how to worship. You know, worship isn't about how it makes you feel. It's about how it makes God feel. Can I tell you something? When we sang tonight, it wasn't about you. I know. I, I hope it was. I hope it did work in your heart. But a song to be sung in church is not about you or I. It is all about him. We gather together to sing about him. Now, I will tell you this. There's an incredible blessing about this. When you give worship unto the Lord, you receive a touch in your heart and a work in your heart. But we don't gather together to sing in a way that's acceptable to us. We gather in a way to sing that is acceptable to God. We don't gather into God's house to hear God's word preached in a way that is acceptable to us. We gather in God's house to hear God's word preached in a way that is acceptable to him. Cain's offering was unacceptable to the Lord. It didn't matter that it was acceptable to Cain. God didn't want fruits and vegetables. He wanted a blood sacrifice following his way. And he looked at Cain's offering and said, I don't want it. And Cain came to worship. Friend, we are to worship God the way he desires to be worshiped, not the way we desire to be worshiped or what makes our toes tingle. And it appears that that is what many places we're looking for. I want to come to church so I can go out feeling good. And I hope you go out feeling good. But if you come in making God please, but your toes didn't tingle, it was a successful day. We are worshiping the king. We are his servants. And we don't need the world to tell us what is acceptable or unacceptable. Matter of fact, I'm okay when they tell me it's unacceptable. I'm okay with that. As long as it is pleasing to God. And you know what? If you fit in with the world, you're finding yourself in a dangerous place. The Bible says, love not the world, neither the things of the world. It's scary to me when someone is more comfortable in the world than they are among God's people. That they'd rather be with the world than with God's people. I'll tell you what, last time I checked, the Lord said one of, those, one of the signs of being saved is that you're going to be love the brethren. When we have more love for the world than we do for the brethren, you might check your salvation. There should be a, there should be a, there is a call to the Christian to stand out from it call the devil is to blend in with it. And the call of God is to stand out from it. And I'm not talking about being a, a mean person, but being someone who stands on the truth to have a clear stand on the word of God and to love God and to stand for God. And here was Caleb. Matter of fact, if you go back and read it, they wanted to kill him for what he did. They wanted to kill him. He said, I'm not. God said he could, and that's where I'm going to stand. He even stood out among the people of God. I tell you something, Christian, there. If you will slay your giants, it will be because you come to a place where you're willing to stand alone. Not only uh, Caleb's faith do we see, and not only his service, but his stand. His stand. He was determined. He was determined. I will stand for the Lord. I think that lastly, we see Caleb's patience, Caleb's patience. Verse nine, he says this, and Moses swear on that day saying, surely the land whereon thy foot feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord, my God. And now behold, the Lord hath kept me alive. As he said, said these 40 and five years, 
even since the Lord spake his word unto Moses while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. I wonder how much pent-up frustration Caleb had. Forty-five years I've been wandered in this stinking wilderness. But he waited. He had had a stand, and he had made that the call of God, and God had said, 40 years, people are going to wander in the wilderness. And what did Caleb do? He kept serving God. He kept serving God. Forty and five years, he served, and he served, and he served, and he served. And when he arrived, he said, now where are those giants? Because <laughs> I want them. I have been thinking about you for 40 and five years, and you're coming down today. But he trusted God. He waited on God. I, I love the scripture in Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. He kept waiting on God. And I don't think that's sitting in a lazy boy chair. I think that's serving God in whatever way you can, walking in his word, calling upon his word, waiting for that day when God takes that giant down. And you see Caleb, 45 years, he serves and he serves and he serves and he serves, knowing that God said I would get it and I'm sure it's coming. And I'm sure it's coming. And God gave him the strength day after day. Bible says their clothes didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out, and Caleb's strength didn't wear out. He still had the strength. He said, I'm as strong now as I was the day back then. God kept him strong because God was going to give him the giant. But he patiently served God. I think the call is that we patiently wait on the Lord and continue to serve God regardless. God doesn't work in our timing. God doesn't work at the speed at which I think he should work. God isn't looking down to ask me how soon I think he should do it. He's waiting. He's going to do it what he has decided to do and what he's promised to do. And he's going to do it in his time. And here's Caleb. And he, and he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits. And he's looking forward to the day. And he gets over there and he says, now, Joshua, we've got a promise. You and I were there and Moses were there. And we know what God said. And those fellows are still down there. And I want them. I've done my waiting, and now it's time. And the giant fell, but he had patience. Have you run out of patience? Can I tell you something, Christian? When you run out of patience with a circumstance, it's because you've run out of patience with God. It is God who sets the time clock. It is God who does that. God is the one who determines the timing. And my call is to patiently wait on him. When I am losing patience with a circumstance, it is because I am losing patience with the one who is in control of it. And I must have patience and trust that my God knows what he's doing. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You and I get short glimpses, but God was there in the beginning. He's there in the end. In other words, he sees things as, off it's all, as if it's already happened. Think about that. To God, tomorrow's already happened because he knows what's there. He's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To me, I'm waiting for tomorrow because I've never been there. But God's the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The only way he can be the end is if he's already been there. He stands outside of time, doesn't he? 
We fit inside of time, but our God is an infinite God. He stands outside of time. He's already been to tomorrow, and he sees it like it's one snapshot, and he has the timing that is perfect. Don't lose patience with God. Because when we are losing patience with the circumstance and the timing, at the root of it, we've lost patience with our God. Caleb was patient. God said 40 years, so that's what it's going to be. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I am going to sharpen my sword while I wait. (laughs) Because I know it's coming. And I know they're there. And I know they think they're safe for now. But I'm coming. And this little grasshopper, this 80-some-year-old grasshopper was going to take down the giant one day. But she didn't want to have that story told to anybody. Because he waited on God. He waited on God. I will tell you this, Christian. Giants of life, they are there. They come our way in different forms. Those giants that are the mind and the heart, those ones that are within those giants of circumstance, giants of the flesh, the sin that does so easily beset us. There's those, there's those giants of our calling. I hope God's called you to something that's bigger than you are. I, I, get, I get leery when, well, it's just not what I'm, it's not my gift. It's just not what I'm good at. Friend, if it's, outside, if it's inside of what you can do, it's not what God wanted for you. God wants you to do something bigger than your calling. They, Goliath was bigger than he was. The giants were bigger than he was. We ought to have a willingness to follow God regardless of where it leads because God wants to do things in our life that are only explained by God. The calling. And what I need to have in my life is faith. Not some foolish, random faith in nothingness or in a feeling, but firmly rooted in the truths of God's word. What does God's word say? That's sufficient. Service. I'm just going to keep serving my king. I'm just going to keep serving him. Doing what he's called, being ready, being available. Serving God. And being willing to stand. If you're not willing to stand in opposition of others, I guarantee you, for a piece of bread, as the scripture says, you will transgress against your God. If you're looking to be popular, if you're looking to be accepted of man for a piece of bread, be willing to stand. And this thing just to have patience, to patiently wait on God's timing. I don't, I don't know what giant comes straight to your mind or in the message or which one waits around the corner for you tomorrow. But I know that God is in the business of killing giants and has been for a very long time. And he is still in the business. I may not have a nine-foot Goliath outside my door waiting for me. At least I hope not. But I got something better than a sling in that case too, all right? But I, I hope not. But the reality is, is this, that I know that God has the share. But I also know that God is good at killing them when I trust him when I just keep serving him, when I keep standing for him, and when I have the patience to say, God, in your time, they're coming down. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, I love you, and I thank you so much for the word of God. And this passage of scripture, this incredible story 
Or we see it as a story of Caleb, but really it's a story of what you did through a man named Caleb. The falling of the giants weren't just Caleb's doing. They were your doing. Caleb may have been the instrument in your hand, but it was you that did it. And Lord, I know that we have our own share of giants in our life. Some of them are our own making of our own flesh. And some of them are circumstances of life or they're they're giants of the heart or giants of our calling, the places that God has put us in to serve him. Lord, you're in the business of, of slaying those giants. I pray that we would trust you, that we would have faith in you, that we would just keep serving the Lord. Lord, that we'd stand when it feels like we're alone and that we would have patience to wait on you. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you the first question is, do you know Christ as your Savior? If you could say, preacher, tonight, I, I know that I'm saved. That's a settled thing for me. There was a time in my life when I trusted Christ. That's settled for me. Would you raise your hand just as a testimony between you and I and the Lord? Thank you. you. May put your hand down. Is there anybody here this evening say, preacher, I'm not sure about my salvation, but I want to know Christ tonight. I want to know him as my Savior. Is there anybody like that? You'd raise your hand so I can pray for you. Anybody that you'd say, preacher, would you pray for me? Let me ask you this then, Christian. How many of you say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart? Maybe there's some specific giant you're facing in your life, and God reminded you to just keep trusting him. But however it is, you'd say, preacher, the Lord has spoken to my heart. Would you raise your hand as a testimony? And would you stand with me as that pianist begins to play, as, as God has spoken to your heart, do business with the Lord, and maybe just a call on him. And Lord, 